0: Hey there, welcome to night school. And you know what, I'm having just a complete and utter mental hangover, and I'm actually feeling a lot better than I did earlier. Not that I felt terrible or anything, but I think I just needed a massive recalibration. And I recognize that I think I've been doing a lot to add fuel to the fire. And a part of me enjoys doing that. You know, I'm not into chaos magic, really, maybe a little bit. I'll admit, I kind of, you know, sometimes I take that approach. I think that approach is good. Um, but I also recognize that it adds fuel to the fire, even if it's just this. You know, even if it's just this show, I think sometimes I can just get so, I c- you know, I can climb up, you know, a certain in a certain direction. And I just keep going there and going there, and, and that gets more and more comfortable to me. And I need to remind myself to come back down. And today has very much been that. You know, the last couple of nights I have not been able to sleep at all. I believe the night before last, I think it took me until like maybe 4.30 to fall asleep. Last night I was up till, I mean, last night I stayed up all night. Even just laying in bed. I don't think I fell asleep until after 7 a.m. And I didn't get more than four hours of sleep. So I'm just... I'm not in a fog. I feel clear, but I just have that disgusting feeling. And, uh, you know, with that, though, I woke up and I'm just like, man, I need to... Today needs to be a day where I just feel a certain mental hangover. Because as I mentioned, you know, this, this free speech stuff is important to me. And I feel that I have to push that line very far. It's almost like asking for a raise from your boss or something like that where you you ask for a number that's much higher than what you expect because I don't have an unrealistic view of free speech in the sense that I know that absolute free speech is an impossibility at the very least it's unrealistic but I demand that because I know that won't I know that that won't be possible I know that absolute free speech is not possible so the fact that Something might meet that halfway. It's like you ask for a $20 raise and they give you a dollar, but hey, you've got a dollar raise. Maybe you'll get more than that. You know, maybe, maybe they'll give you $2, you know, but it's the same sort of logic with something like free speech, because for me too, demanding free speech doesn't come directly at anybody's expense at least in my opinion, even though I've been advocating for the right for Donald Trumpsfeld to tweet. And I've been giving my own analysis of what he said that got him removed. Because there's a dilemma there, and I know, I know that it's probably a burden to hear me talk so much about this subject, but it's it's honestly one of the core things that I care about, and, and I've cared about it for you know my entire I was going to say adult life, but definitely since I was a teenager. And there's a huge dilemma in this. You know, I think that it should be a, I think it should be an intense, controversial conversation when the president, no matter what he he said or done, when he gets banned from a bunch of public platforms and people are applauding it and other people are just incensed and for me, it is very much a philosophical issue. Even though I'm talking about this specific issue and everything I've said about it, I, I, I take nothing I've said about it back. I take nothing that I've said about censorship and Donald Trump's felt back. And I understand that free speech laws relate to the government. Because that's an argument people make where it's like, oh, you know, the First Amendment, free speech laws that pertains to the government not being able to persecute you, not being able to prosecute you. I understand that doesn't apply to corporations, but I don't think we have a complete understanding of what these public platforms are. I don't think that... They are so new, and it's so new that a president would be using that. And I was thinking, the example I was using in a discussion yesterday, was George W. Bush. Like where, if George W. Bush were the president today, or if there was Twitter back then, and George W. Bush was on Twitter, and he declared war on Iraq, or the war in Afghanistan, which, definitely Iraq, but I think in both instances, those were, the motivations were deceptive. The motivations for those wars were deceptive. And if the president endorsed a war on Twitter, should he be banned? If Trump's felt making somewhat vague comments that could be interpreted to be a direct encouragement of violence, if that is considered encouraging violence and deserves a ban, does a president declaring an official war, does an official war, which is a much more direct incitement of violence. It's deliberate violence. Whether you think it's necessary to go to war or not, there's no denying that a declaration of war or a president endorsing his military to go to war publicly, there's no denying that that is violent. You know, let's not get to a point where war is no longer violent. Silence is violence, but war is not violent. Um, you know, and, and that goes back to, it's like when you look at news networks, I mean, n- the news journalists endorsed the Iraq war, news networks endorsed it, and if they didn't endorse it, they gave a public platform to George W. George W., the artist, you know, with his outsider art of, I mean, his outsider art is incredible, and who knew that the president, the most powerful man in the world, would retire and become a, an outsider artist who paints his feet in the bathtub or a weird picture of himself staring in the bathroom mirror. Um, but, uh, you know, it is, it's, there's a dilemma there. Like, does the news network. Should the news network give a platform for a president's declaration of war? I would say absolutely, because my attitude is that we want this stuff to be out in the open. In the same way that I think whether you agree or disagree, are ambivalent, indifferent, my opinion is that you want Trumpsfeld to be out in the open. You want his statements out in the open. That's just how I feel. And an argument can be made that by censoring him... Necess- you know, if you consider it necessary censorship, it's censorship either way, because that's something. I, that's a point I was trying to make to some people I know online, all people I know personally. Really, I, I was arguing with people, debating with people, and I have to say too, just real quick, every single person that I argued with yesterday, and I have no, I am embarrassed that I was arguing with people at length. I was typing long, rambling things, and while I believe I made my points and I stand by everything I said I mean there's something embarrassing about that that everybody you know on there is seeing you completely sucked into this argument but I have to say that in almost every case I found common ground or at least some sort of amicable uh conclusion to the people I argued with and some of those didn't start out amicably Because you know we have a tendency to say these things with a level of bravado, and that's kind of what I get. That's kind of what I was getting at about talking about. You know, I've been you know you climb up this mountain and you keep going in that direction, and that's sort of the bravado to me. And you know, I'm a man. I like to puff my chest out. I feel like I've had a lot of bravado the last couple days. And free speech is something that I have a lot of bravado toward because I like to exercise my free speech in talking about free speech. Um, but I, I do feel that in just about every case, I was able to conclude those, and not just me, you know, it's, it's a, a mutual agreement to end a discussion on amicable terms. And to not see that discussion as the be-all, end-all to your relationship with somebody. Whether it's the guy that I was in junior high with who responded to something I said by saying the right is irredeemable. And we talked, and, and I said, well, if you were to have conservative friends, you'd probably realize that they are not irredeemable. You know, he, he was saying how the right is 100% purely motivated by racial animosity, and I said, that's not true. That's not true. If you know conservatives, you know that many of of them are of different races and that's something you see when you actually pay attention to conservative circles is that you find that there are people of different races and you don't want to treat those people like a novelty because that's something that the right does that I don't like at all. There's a tendency to be like, we got a black guy on our side. And then the left responds in a very disgusting way to that where it's like, yeah, but he doesn't know what's good for him. We know what's good for him, and I don't like either of those approaches. Where the right sort of uh, holds, let's say a black conservative, because there's a few black conservatives that I pay attention to. One of whom is uh, Russell Okung, who is a lineman for the Seattle Seahawks. Who he's been complaining about what happened to Donald Trump's feld the last couple of days. I don't know what his exact politics are, but he seems, I would say he's probably libertarian if I had to put him into a category, but Russell Okun, black guy, he's been outspoken about the fact that big tech censorship is a problem and he disagrees with what happened to Trump's felt. And, uh, you know, so I feel like even saying his name, even pointing this out is a form of me doing that. So I try not to do that. But I'm also not a real conservative in that sense either. And that's not me being a fence sitter. It's just me being honest. And uh, so I don't feel the need to be like, oh, here's a black guy who agrees with me. You see, I got a black guy on my side. You know, I I think that's there's there's something just kind of it doesn't look good. It doesn't feel good. And I think the left is right for for being like, why you got to do that? But I think the left takes it too far by criticizing those people and saying they're not acting in their own interest. I mean, we saw that with the election where it came out that Latino Americans in Florida voted, uh, many of them voted for for Trumpsfeld, and I saw comments from people where they're like, they don't know they're acting outside of their own interests. And it's like, who are you to say that? You're You're calling these people stupid. You're saying that these people who belong to a certain group somehow don't have the sense to know what's right for them or what they are motivated by, and you can't do that either. So there's that. Uh, but yeah, with the bravado, you know, there's just a tendency I think to puff your chest out when you talk about these things, and I do it, you know, and I like to, I like to write creatively, you know. I'm, I'm a manifesto-oriented person, and it, it just comes out of me. This show is a form of that. This show is a verbal manifesto in so many ways, a harmless manifesto. You know, the word manifesto, (laughs) you know, has some connotations. Um, But, uh, you know, I I do, I consider myself a manifesto oriented person. And in doing that, though, I, I can make bold declarations. And I stand by those. I stand by those even if there's an amount of performance to it. You know, as much as I point out the performative nature of things that people do, I point that out because I myself am a performer. And when you're a performer, people will read all kinds of things into that. Things that you say, things that you don't say, you know, people will read into that. I mean, It's like watching an actor or a movie character or anything where it's like, think about like watching a movie and you have an opinion about this character. I don't like him, and we do that with people, and even if that person believes what they're saying, you still have to to see what they're doing as a performance of some sort, and you have to recognize that quality in yourself, too, but yeah, you know, today I've just had a hangover, I've had some regret, well, I, you know, not enough enough to, to walk backwards or anything, I'm just like, yeah, you know, like, I got kind of caught up. I got kind of caught up. And if nothing else, I hope that I've made people consider some of the different angles to this. Some different angles to the free speech discussion. Because I think it's all connected. Because it's very easy to look at a, a controversial president and say, yeah... There's some karmic justice. I mean, you know, Trumpsfeld, I remember, said that NFL players who kneel for the national anthem should be taken off the field. They should be thrown off the field. So there's a level of hypocrisy and karmic justice to him getting thrown off the Internet. But I don't use karmic justice to justify any form of censorship. Even if somebody is a hypocrite, even if they got a dose of their own medicine— That doesn't change my philosophy on the issue of free speech, and I will defend even a hypocrite. I will defend even the man in the most powerful position in the United States, and of course that creates a whole discussion of how powerful is he if companies can take him down, if private companies can take him down, and the whole private company thing, I don't don't even know what to think about that. By the time we are able to understand social media, something new will have replaced it, or there will be something new in addition to it, or it will have grown into something else. Often by the time we understand something, we're looking at it in the rearview mirror. Uh, So I don't think we can completely understand what social media, meteor. Social meteor. When social media is replaced by social meteor. Uh, But you know... I've had a lot I wanted to say, and I've actually I deleted a podcast last night that I did on a walk after my other podcast. When I had insomnia last night, I was laying in bed and I recorded another podcast of just talking. And both of those had some fun things. Both of those had some good points and some fun things. But I've decided not to publish the one I recorded in bed last night. And I've decided I decided to take down. The other one that I put up last night Because I feel that I was making some cheap shots At people And it's inevitable, I will do that I will make some cheap shots now and again But I just, right now It just it didn't feel right It it really didn't feel right And today too, I just don't feel good I got very little sleep You know, just even though I I stand by everything I've said to people When you're arguing with people and, And there were some people who Saw the worst in what I was saying there are some people I know, friends that I've known for years. I, you know, I don't want to say they saw the worst because they didn't respond as if I was the worst person in the world. But they seemed highly suspect of the place I was coming from. And that bothers me. That bothers me because that tells me that they don't feel like they know me. And I don't always make it easy for people to know me. But I need people to know that what they know about me is still me. And if I express a view that makes them wonder, you know, it makes me feel like I'm not doing a good enough job at allowing my character and my reputation to speak for me. And I know there's people who don't like me. I know there's a lot, and I don't want to get caught up in that narcissistic spell of like... These are my haters. Oh, I know that you hate me. Oh, I I know that you're, you're against me. You know, you can't get caught up in that way of thinking. And you can't mistake people's indifference. I mean, I have this experience a lot where I think that somebody doesn't like me. And then I engage with them and I say something nice or something that communicates to them that I actually like them. And it turns out they thought I didn't like them. And that made them cold toward me, or that made them seem indifferent toward me. And, you know, we have to give ourselves those little signs of approval. And, you know, I don't want to talk about Facebook too much, although, you know, I was, I was in it. I was knee-deep in the embarrassing but somehow necessary world of Facebook the last couple days. Ranting and raving. And there was one person who I, I just happened to notice they unfriended me because they asked me for clarification on something I was saying. They were concerned about whether I was making a general point about free speech or whether I was referring specifically to Trump's And I went into a long thing about Trump's defending his right. What I see is his right. And, uh. I noticed just because this person replied to me. It's not like I sit around like refreshing my friends list like who who unfriended me? Who? Ah, oh, you know, cuz it it's sad, you know. I'm not heartbroken. This wasn't somebody I was close to, but I because they replied, I happened to see that they unfriended me. Seeing me I I, I don't know. This person is is very far left and they're an acquaintance who I haven't seen in a very long time who lives in town here. And that's fine. You know, there's, there's always going to be collateral damage when you express yourself about something controversial. And I try to minimize collateral damage, but sometimes the bravado does that on its own. Sometimes just the nature of the discussion does that on its own. So it's just it's how things work. I don't take pride in that. Some people, you know, take all this pride in not just a social media quote-unquote unfriending but there's people I know who have been in conflict with other friends. There's been, you know, dramatic, uh, just dramatic situations, blow ups, and they almost take pride in the fact that they have a new enemy. It's like, oh, yeah, because it's exciting to feel that way sometimes. For me, it's just it's a dull feeling. I don't like it. It is what it is, though. But, you know, and, and today, too, I just want to make a, another quick comment, another thing that kind of just rubbed me. A little bit raw is, you know, I'd hired a lawyer last year to help me deal with my mom's estate to make me a, a, the administrator. And some parts of that process have been very slow. Given just coronavirus, given just the nature of the world right now, given my situation, while I've gotten a lot done, I've also dragged my feet on other things. And the lawyer let me know that he's planning on closing his practice this year. And he, he wants to close the probate case. But that involves doing things that I'm not ready to do. And so I'm nervous about that. And I don't know whether, you know, maybe if, if, it, if it comes down to it, I know this is boring, but if it comes down to it, you know, I'm kind of comfortable just with him retiring and leaving the case open if I have to. But hopefully it doesn't come to that. With so many of these things, I'm just taking this wait-and-see approach. I'm just taking this wait-and-see approach. And while I would like to be more proactive about some things, it seems incredibly difficult. And I'm happy with what I've been able to maintain as far as my own being goes. And even though I'm unhappy with myself in certain ways, both in my interactions with other people, as well as just kind of where I'm at individually, I do feel like I'm in kind of a rut right now. But, you know, the lawyer, he was kind of a dick. Like, he's not a dick. I've had good, he he was cool to me. I guess the thing that gets me is he was incredibly laid back last year. And he didn't really give me that much information, but he basically told me that I can just kind of chill and work at things at my own pace. But I can tell the fact that he's trying to retire and this case is still open. He seems like he's on edge or something. And, uh, you know, I don't know what to think about that right now, so I'm just kind of putting it out of my mind. But I'm glad he let me know. I'm glad that he lit a little bit of a fire so that I can just figure this all out. Because it's insane. It's insane what we're all going through, and even though I've had some intense discussions with people, you know, I, I've heard some. You know, I, I've connected with people in the last day in, in a really a wonderful way. People that I don't necessarily agree with about all kinds of issues. You know, my friend Olivia has been messaging me a lot. Uh, she's a Buddhist. Who I went to a a chanting event with her group. The New Year's Eve before last, and while it wasn't for me, you know, I can't see myself getting into some sort of regular chanting, it was a a bizarre, a good bizarre experience, you know, just hearing these people chant and chanting myself, and while I didn't necessarily relate to everything they were doing, it was a good experience, Uh, but she's been messaging me a lot, and uh, you know, she's made some comments that I agree with, but I can tell that she really deeply considered what I said. And I think one of the issues with a lot of this stuff is, with free speech, is being offensive. Because a lot of people, you know, have this attitude that there are consequences for being offensive, you know, and of course there are. I think consequences are a part of free speech. If you say the wrong thing, people will take it the wrong way. And sometimes even if you don't say the wrong thing, people will take it the wrong way. Uh, but it, that's one of the reasons why I don't promote this show in any way. Not that I've ever done a lot to promote it. But I, I don't let anybody, I, I make no announcements anywhere. I don't let anybody know when there's a new episode. It's something that where if you have enough of an interest to come here and stumble upon all these countless new episodes I do, that's enough for me. But there's a lot of humor on this show that people would find offensive. Do I deserve consequences? You know, I think about that show the other night where I came home from the store and I was on a tear about people in the grocery store. And I think there was a lot of offensive content in there dealing with, you know, mental impairment. Uh, Even just the word, that word that's used to refer to young men who want to be something other than what they are known as wiggers. That might be an offensive word now. Well, that word was common Well, that word was incredibly common. I don't know what the status of that word is, and I I don't think I would throw that word out to just about anybody or everybody these days, although I'm comfortable using using it on this show because I feel that this show is an example of free speech in practice, which is that you have to seek it out. You have to seek it out. And if you seek this show out, you know, and, and something turns you off, that's totally fine. But I don't think that there's anything said or done with regard to this show that deserves any kind of consequence, because a large part of it is humor. And even when I'm making a statement about something that is true to me, again, I don't think I say anything that deserves consequence. And, you know, the way that the Overton window shifts, it's inevitable that some of the things I say will be considered controversial. But I don't think this platform is itself something that deserves consequences. And we, we live in this kind of snitch culture, though, where if you come across something, even if it's somewhat private, there's this tendency to really go after someone. But uh, my friend Olivia was telling me how her friend made a comment, on a, a public comment on social media relating to riots and that sort of thing and someone and I guess she had her workplace you know publicly displayed like it said where she works on her social media account her media her social meteor account and that night somebody went and shot a bullet through the workplace's window was that a coincidence it turns out the workplace and hopefully I'm not revealing anything here I don't know who this person was, it's a friend of a friend, but uh, apparently the workplace, as a result, established these new social media policies, and you can be you know, punished with a firing for violating them, and this sort of thing, so that's what we're dealing with, and you wouldn't even know that situation played out, I wouldn't know that situation played out, was it a coincidence that somebody shot a bullet through the, the workplace's window, Because somebody who works there made a public comment online that somebody found disagreeable. I can easily believe that right now. And that's why I'm kind of reeling myself in. Because while I don't feel that anything I've said, whether it's on this show, whether it's to somebody privately, whether it's something I said on my social media or accounts. While I don't think anything I've said really deserves a harsh reaction I also recognize that people are, are unhinged. I have to remember that. Even the lawyer, you know, he, him giving me kind of a, I don't know, his tone was just a little, you know, he gave me more information than he's given me the entire time that he's been working for me. But with that information, there was just a... I don't know, there's just something I didn't like about it. And part of it's the pressure to get things done. Part of it's the uncertainty. But there's also something to the way he said it. And I, I don't doubt that the state of things may have impacted that. Um, and what to say about that, I don't know. That's about all I got on that. But yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking right now about just, you know, I think, I don't know. I, f- I feel like I'm kind of crawling down the mountain a little bit. You know, because, I, I don't know, I'm going to try to not put a lot of pressure on myself this month, and, I, and this doesn't need to be a diary entry, but I'm going to try to put, not put a lot of pressure on myself this month, you know. There's the potential for more political turmoil, and I do believe that censoring Trump's failed, even if you believe it's a necessary censor- censorship, I believe that that could radicalize people further, because it makes their wildest fantasies a reality, Because a lot of people are motivated by a feeling of persecution and martyrdom on the left, on the right, even moderates. I mean, it's funny to see that because, you know, people on the left, people on the right both have this sort of martyrdom and these persecution fantasies as well as persecution realities because people do come after each other. But it's been interesting to see moderates and independents. And, you know, I consider myself an independent. It's interesting, though, because sometimes I feel that, oh, hey, both the left and the right are out to get me. I see moderates who say the same thing where they feel that, oh, because I'm in between or outside of the spectrum, wherever you are, that the people who are on the extremes are out to get you. They see you as a fence sitter. Or they see you as belonging to the other group because you don't completely belong to them. So that's what we're dealing with, with all that. And you have to get away from that, you know, because I mean, I take no pleasure in being a martyr. I take no pleasure in persecution fantasies or persecution realities. I take no pleasure in that myself. And I I don't want that myself. There was a video, a nature video I saw many years ago where there was a frog and this larva crawled up to the frog and the frog had his mouth closed and the larva kind of, you know, stood up in the way that like a worm can kind of, you know, straighten itself up a little bit and it was trying to get into the frog's closed mouth for a while and the frog did not give in even though the frog eats these things. The frog kept its mouth completely closed, and this little worm just kept pushing and pushing on the frog's mouth, and eventually the frog ate it. Finally, the frog just quickly ate it. And I think people do that. I think people are are very much like that worm, where sometimes I think we're just knocking on that door. All kinds of people. All kinds of people, I think they provoke it. I think, you know... Well, there are instances of, of police brutality. There, there was police brutality that happened during the summer protests and riots. But we also saw where some people wanted that. We saw where people wanted that last week, last uh, Wednesday at the Capitol. And people do that. I don't even know if they're conscious of it. I think some people are. I think some people it's strategic. Because you can take a a photo where it's like, oh, look, they're launching the tear gas at me. And that doesn't mean that sometimes they don't just launch the tear gas on their own. But sometimes, you know, you provoke and you provoke and then you get the desired result. And I don't know what that worm was thinking. I don't know what that worm in the nature video was thinking. But you can see where that sort of behavior plays out. And it's important for me to not do that. Because I felt myself recently kind of pushing... Like, I'm almost, in a way, trying to provoke. And uh, I don't want... uh, You know, that's not what I want to do. While it can be fun to do that, while you can get entertaining results or even good results from being provocative, especially in the arts, especially when it comes to self-expression, I don't think being provocative for its own sake is necessarily what you want to do. If what you believe happens to be provocative and you mean it, that's a different story. But people should be able to be provocative. People should have the right to provocation. And that goes back to, you know, the free speech debate, of course. Because Donald Trump's felt, of course, he's provocative. But the question is what he's provoking. And... Uh, You know, how do you deal with that when other situations present themselves? Like if there was an official declaration of foreign war. Since you've established that encouraging violence is unacceptable on these public platforms, what do you do when it's officially sanctioned by the president and Congress? What do you do? I'm against foreign war. I don't think that the U.S. has any business getting involved in foreign wars. I think we've done enough of that. And even though sometimes it's been for the right reasons, it's hard for me to support that. It's hard for me to support the idea of the dominant empire going around the world trying to make things right. Because it doesn't always work that way. Um, so, but, but that said, I wouldn't want the president to be censored. Because I would want to know exactly what he's saying. And there, an interesting you know situation happened a few years ago with Alex Jones, where he was banned from all platforms, much like Trumpsfeld is now. I think he's banned from all platforms. Uh, Alex Jones definitely is, and he has his own platform. But I don't know that that stopped him from having an influence on people. Again, I think that justified people's views of him. I think the people who are going to be attracted by Alex Jones are infinitely more attracted when a guy like that is seen as subversive enough to be banned. And we can see where banning Alex Jones from every platform three years ago didn't stop people from storming the Capitol. I don't think it stopped people from paying attention to him. Wouldn't you rather see and hear what he's saying? And he's a very absurd guy. It's difficult for me when I've seen him, and I'm if I need to make some sort of disclaimer, you know, <laughs> I'm not some kind of Alex Jones proponent. you know, I'm not, oh, I listen to everything he says. He can be entertaining. Uh, you know, I've really only gotten some doses of him. I don't seek him out. He has a way of saying things. I'll, I'll give him that. But yeah, I don't support the idea of outright banning him because I think it's better to see what he's saying. And I believe the people who will be affected by what he's saying, the people who will be influenced by what he's saying, it'll get to them one way or another. And when you couple that with this kind of martyrdom and you allow people to feel persecuted... Or you allow them to see their favorite public figure as a person? I mean, look at Jesus. You know, would the story of Jesus be as powerful if he hadn't been nailed to a cross? You look at all the instances like that. And yeah, you know, banning somebody from social media isn't nailing them to a crucifix although that's, that's sort of the analogy, that's sort of the metaphor. And I think it has a similar effect. So, you know, I don't think you can completely separate those, even though it's not literal, even though somebody isn't literally nailed to a crucifix to die. I don't think you can completely separate those ideas. Um, and so, you know, the most you know significant religious figure in the West... For a long, long time. Is a figure who was martyred. He's the martyr. He's the capital M martyr. So it's something to keep in mind when you see all this. And I think that's very true of Trumpsfeld, Where this could very well radicalize. And increase people's fervor. You know, I'm almost surprised that there aren't widespread. That there's not widespread violence every day. Since... ...last Wednesday and and since Saturday or whenever it was he got banned. I'm almost surprised and maybe there is. I don't know. It just seems like our exposure to information is so selective. And for all I know, it's going on right now. But I'm going to dial myself back. I'm going to make that a decision right now. I've got too many things to do. I've got too many other priorities. I'm too hopeful. And it's hard to reconcile hope with reality. But by being hopeful... You make for a different reality. By being more hopeful, you shape your reality in a more constructive way. So reality shouldn't drag your hope down, even though you shouldn't ignore that reality. And I want to be hopeful. There is something exciting about escalation. And I believe that a lot of people who have different outlooks feel that. I feel that a lot of people enjoy a certain amount of escalation, but it comes at such a high cost that even though there is this part of me that kind of wants that, that wants things to come to a head, I mean it's almost like if you're in a relationship and you've you've been kind of snippy at each other and then finally it blows up, well that can be good it could also be what ends everything. It could also be the nail in the coffin. You don't know, and maybe that's necessary. Um, but, you know, it's nice getting different people's perspectives. But the the one that's difficult for me is just when something is considered inappropriate or offensive. You know, that, that's hard for me because my sense of humor tends to be... I tend to respond to things that people might consider offensive. I tend to laugh more at things that are controversial. I think most people do when they're truly honest with themselves. So the idea of limiting people's exposure to that, not allowing people to laugh at certain ideas or make certain jokes, I don't support that. And even though I talk about serious subjects like I am now, you know, I do see this show as comedy. It's comedy for me, if nobody else. And in the same way that somebody who's on a stage should be allowed to make the jokes that they want, without much consu- much consequence. You know, somebody can leave. Somebody can not like that comedian or not like that joke. I feel the same way about this show, where somebody has to willingly come here. Somebody has to willingly listen to this. And as I've said before, I've had people be offended by this show before. I've absolutely had people be offended by unlikely things, too. I mean, one time I, I was talking about how I was trespassing in a state park, and I was it was closed so i was the only person there and i was kind of you know jumping around i was kind of i was trying to avoid the the park's workers with their chainsaws and leaf blowers i didn't want to get caught and i also mentioned that i was trying to not stumble into a homeless encampment and somebody i know who's awesome an awesome person i know heard that and brought it up and was like kind of like let's talk let's talk you know what you said about the homeless encampment and i'm like that's, that was not an indictment of homeless people. Do you want to stumble into a homeless encampment? I don't. For their sake and my sake. I have no business there. I want to avoid it. And that's all I mentioned. It had nothing to do with specific homeless people or anything like that. And I don't feel the need to even give a disclaimer about it. But it's just, it's one of those things where you can't always predict what's going to bother somebody. You can't always predict what somebody's going to find issue with. Um, but it's good to remember that people can find issue with anything. They can take great issue with your feelings on free speech, and that's their right. That's absolutely their right. Free thought, free speech, think what you want, respond how you want. I'm not out to tell anybody what to do or what not to do. That's at the core of my beliefs. That's at the core of free speech. And free speech is at the core of everything else. Because it's not even about supporting a given thing. Again, you know, in defending Trump's felt right to a platform, it has nothing to do with... It has nothing to do with the content for me. In the same way that, you know, NFL players should be allowed to kneel. I don't have any issue with an NFL player kneeling at the national anthem. When I was in high school, when I was a sophomore in high school at a pep rally one of the only pep rallies I ever went to, I didn't stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. And my teacher came over and told me I had to stand, and I didn't. And she said, if you want to be weird, go ahead and be weird. I would stand now. And I was talking to my friend Olivia about this, Where you know, I was saying, because her boyfriend came to the U.S. from Africa, and she was telling me how his perception of America before he came here versus after coming here, how that was different how the way America had been presented to him when he lived in Africa was different than how it was, as you would expect. Um, but I was saying to her, you know, where I'm, I'm proud to be from America. I'm not proud to be from America at the expense of any other country. And while I think that the American flag is a beautiful symbol, it's a beautiful symbol because it, it represents both the good and the bad. And it takes the bad to emphasize the good and it takes the good to emphasize the bad. It takes the left to emphasize the right and it takes the right to emphasize the left. And that's the dance. That's why when you know a guy I went to junior high with saying the right is irredeemable, I'm like, we need the right because that's part of the dance. That's one of the feet. That's one of the feet that moves. and that's what makes the dance. And sometimes one foot goes forward, the other goes back. But it's that exchange, it's that movement that makes the dance. It's what encourages so-called progress while allegedly conserving the qualities that we want to maintain. Of course, it gets a lot more mixed up than that. I think the dance is often... (laughs) You know, I don't think it's trained ballroom dancing. I think it's kind of an improvised shuffle. And that's what makes things so difficult. But I think that dance is necessary. In the same way that I don't think you can have the good America without the bad America. And I don't think you can have the bad America without the good America. And maybe getting away from that, getting away from good and bad, because I don't see left and right as good and bad. But just seeing certain qualities that America has versus other qualities it has that are sometimes at odds with each other. But they reinforce each other. There's a relationship to those things. And it's a committed relationship. Because what's a Democrat without a Republican? What's a Republican without a Democrat? You know, a Democrat without a Republican is going to split in two. And one of those two is going to become the opposition. And the opposite is true as well. You know, so I I don't think... you, You will inevitably have counterpoint. And if that's preferable to you, if you'd rather have one party split into two, I don't know, you know, go for it. But to try to completely eliminate one side or to think that one side is irredeemable is to do your own side a disservice. And if you get rid of the other side and your side splits, you might very well be in that position that you just got rid of. You might very well assume that role. And that's what we've seen happen with the left, with a, with a number of people who have split off from the left in recent years and are now considered right-wing. And they're not. You know, they Many of them have traditional liberal values, but they're seen as right-wing because they aren't far-left, which, is, as I've said, has increasingly become the mainstream left. But something that I want to communicate to people is that I am always open to feedback, I am always open to being challenged, I might be stubborn and I might not budge. The free speech issue, I don't budge on that. Even though I feel like today I'm, I'm kind of hung over from that discussion and I want to reel myself in and simply be an observer and not feel the need to comment on every medium. Even though I feel that way, I'm trying to, you know, dial it back. I haven't budged as far as my fundamental belief, which, again, isn't entirely realistic, It's not realistic for me to believe that absolute free speech is possible in the same way that it's not possible for me to believe that utopia is possible. Because in a utopia, there would be absolute free speech. And your speech wouldn't bother or hurt anybody. And other people's speech wouldn't bother or hurt you. But you have to be careful with utopian ideals too because sometimes a utopian ideal requires some sort of cleansing, where it's like, well, you know, in order to achieve that utopia, we have to completely get rid of people, re-educate people, and if re-education doesn't work, what do you do then? If attempting to re-educate, let's say this, you know, there's people, and I've seen this attitude expressed, where it's like, Healing is not possible. Healing between the left and right isn't possible, and Trump's supporters need to be re-educated. Mandatory re-education. What happens if that doesn't work? First of all, people are going to feel persecuted by that, and while some people would go through the motions of that for their own survival, I think we got some stubborn people, and I don't think that the re-education is necessarily the right education. So what do you do when someone doesn't become reeducated? Do you allow them to become homeless? And that's kind of an interesting thing I've thought about where it's not just that we've seen certain people get kicked off of public platforms, but I've actually seen where banks will no longer serve a given person. You get someone fired from their job. You get somebody evicted. And you're basically, you know, unless that person has some other resource or unless they're very inventive, when you do that you might very well be forcing someone into homelessness and the left is very sympathetic to homelessness you know and i'm glad i'm glad that people have sympathy empathy for people in that situation but what happens when you force your enemy into that situation do you then say oh it's not your fault do you do you then start treating them the same way that you have been treating, you know, the, the other homeless people? Do you ignore their politics? Do you ignore what caused their homelessness? And, and I don't know if this is going to happen. I don't know if this has happened. I don't know if people are homeless because they've been condemned politically. But that's a possibility for sure. When you get involved in institutions and banks, and we've even seen where airlines recently didn't want to serve people who attended uh, Washington, DC. We've seen where that's happened. I don't I don't know all the specifics of that, but I did hear something about it. and it does seem like companies, institutions are willing to take a stand against certain people. But how far does that go? Do you want people to die? Because that's the other aspect of, like, if re-education doesn't work, you know, we know what authoritarian governments have done about that in the past. We know about that. We know how brutal that can get. So if you think that you have the right perspective, like, if you think you know what's right, you should be thinking about how that plays out. Like, if you get your way, what do you do with the people who disagree with you, especially the people that you find reprehensible. And it's okay to find some people reprehensible. It's okay to find some people irredeemable. Well, I don't think it's necessarily the best way of seeing things. And you should ask yourself if you really truly see those people as irredeemable, like my junior high friend who called the right irredeemable. But after talking about it, it turns out he didn't think that individual conservatives, at least the ones he knows are irredeemable you know in, in the same way that he was able to see that or admit that even though he sees mainstream conservatism and its its political representatives as irredeemable and we agreed on the fact that the american political crisis is largely based around a lack of authentic representation even when somebody from your alleged group is in power. It, to me, it doesn't feel like authentic representation. Um, so, I think that's at the core of maybe any political crisis. I think it's always an issue with politics, is a feeling that you don't have authentic representation. And I'm someone... I don't know that it's possible for me to feel authentically represented because I don't even feel like I can authentically represent myself. I try to be truthful. I think I'm an authentic person, you know, as best I can be. But it's difficult to feel that I'm truly representing what I feel. And that's what came across in these arguments I had. And I would call them arguments. I wouldn't say they were nasty arguments, but I would say they were debates, they were arguments. And I couldn't help but feel during the course of these discussions that I'm not I may not be completely representing myself in the way I want to. And I kinda, you know, I snapped back at a friend because I could tell he kinda wanted me to declare my allegiance in order to make my points okay. And I said to him, you know, I was like, I don't need to declare, I don't need to announce that I'm not part of QAnon that's kind of what he was implying. He he said something to the effect of, like, we've seen people become radicalized through conspiracy theories, and I haven't seen you in a long time. And I don't mean for this to sound snotty, uh, but it did bother me a little bit, and we ended things very amicably. But it was just, I didn't like that comment that he felt that I should declare myself in order for my rationale about free speech to be acceptable. And I don't believe in doing that. I don't believe you need to declare yourself. I think the points you're making should be acceptable regardless of who you are or where you're coming from, because the points themselves should speak for themselves. So I did, I, you know, I kind of snapped back at him about that, where I was just, you know, I was like, you know, I don't think I need to declare allegiance or give any disclaimers or disown any ideas in order for the ideas I'm expressing right now to be taken at face value. You know, I've been using that phrase a lot lately, taking things at face value. I don't even know that I'm using it correctly, but I think in this case it does fit. I want my ideas to be taken at face value, and if somebody knows me as a decent person, that should be all they need to give me the benefit of the doubt. And if somebody doesn't think I'm a decent person or they don't like me, that's another issue, but you can make an effort... Even when you don't like someone to say, hey, there's a rationale here, and I'm better off for listening to it. Even if it doesn't change me. Because that's how I feel about you know, I'm stubborn about free speech, and I'm chances are I'm not gonna budge in my absolute free speech, my my free speech absolutism. I'm not I'm unlikely to budge. That said, I love the counterpoint. I love the pushback. I love giving pushback. I love giving counterpoint. So everything that somebody said to me, even if I didn't agree with it at all, even if it didn't change my perspective, I was better off for it. It caused me to strengthen my argument. Maybe it caused them to strengthen their argument. And I think when you are forced to strengthen your own argument, you feel better. I think you feel better about the other person's argument. And if they devolve into cheap shots, if they devolve into ad hominem, well, you know what you're dealing with. You know, you're dealing with a certain level of instability. You know, you're dealing with somebody who's being unreasonable. And, uh, you know, right as of right now, you know, nobody's insulted me. Some little things, you know, you can pick up on some little things, but nobody's outright called me a name. A name. You called me a name. And you don't want to respond to that by calling somebody else a name. You never want to call names. They teach you that as a kid. But, uh, yeah, I'm I'm feeling a mental hangover from everything that's gone on. Because, you know, what happened at the Capitol... I knew that there was going to be a rally that day. I had heard about the rally in advance, but I had a lot going on. I had appointments that morning. I got a message from a friend that was mentioning it, and I got online. I saw all these responses, and my initial reaction is what it is now, which is don't do that. Even if you believe in that cause, you should have seen the trap. And you've done your cause a disservice. Even if you believe there was election fraud, and Donald Trumpsfeld is the man who deserves the job to stay in the seat. It was such an obvious trap. And you can see where the response to it is going to be something that people are going to have a hard time recovering from. And that response is also going to radicalize people further. In the same way I'm talking about Trumpsfeld, in the same way that Trumpsfeld being banned could radicalize people further and prove their wildest fantasies, I believe that the potential responses to the capital situation could escalate things further. So everybody's walking on treacherous ground. I've been walking on treacherous ground even though it's not. Even though I'm just a guy in his house expressing opinions that aren't that severe. I don't think anything I've said is that controversial. But yet it's still, it's still treacherous ground because we live in a treacherous time. And you have to find the humor in it too. I mean, that's, my, that's how I deal with everything. I deal with everything through humor. And I'm going to continue to deal with it that way. It's all I got. At the end of the day, that's all I got, and I have, to be able to, I have to be able to find the humor in everything, even things that are very concerning to me. So uh, that's where I'm at. Hopefully I don't feel the need to talk about this anymore. Hopefully I've gotten a lot of this out of my system, and hopefully nothing going on outside. Maybe the, the act of censorship was necessary. I'm willing to be wrong. I'm willing to be wrong about Trumpsfeld. As I I told people yesterday when I was talking about it with them, it's like, yeah, I am talking about a specific instance as well as the general issue of censorship because you can't separate an individual instance of censorship from the larger issue. They all just kind of melt into each other. Every individual instance of censorship melts into the larger issue, and this isn't a new topic for me. And this sort of censorship, especially toward the right, on these public platforms isn't new. It's been going on, and it's led to some of the radicalization. It's probably led to me taking a harder stance about these things than I otherwise might, even though I always have a hardline philosophy when it comes to free speech. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, I don't know. I am. I feel like shit. <laughs> I feel like shit, um, my head just feels, like I actually feel like I have a hangover. You know, it's been over three years since I've drank, but I actually feel like I have a hangover because I didn't get enough sleep, I stayed up, I couldn't sleep, I stayed up all night, slept for a few hours, I'm in a haze, I'm not even watching football, the playoffs are are here, I could barely watch the Seahawks yesterday. I barely paid attention, and they lost. They're out of the playoffs, but I just, I'm not invested in that, and I hope by next weekend I care again. I hope by next weekend I care about the playoffs because I love football, but that just tells you everything, that I've been hijacked. I was, I've was i been hijacked the last few days, and even though I don't feel like that hijacking pushed me in a horrible direction that I disagree with, I also recognize that I was hijacked. And a lot of that was my own doing. Because it's always your own doing. Even if there are external circumstances that cause it to happen, it's always your own doing when you get hijacked by something. But, um... I don't know, I... I I try to be a gentleman. And, you know, it's like the classic, like, like... you see, in old movies, where the gentlemen, when they're behind closed doors, they, you know, they'll they'll talk a little bit differently. They'll talk shop. They might say things that gentlemen wouldn't otherwise say if they were in front of a public audience. But with the internet and social media being what it is, it's sort of this hybrid behind. It's sort of a hybrid of the parlor, but also the podium. In some ways, it's behind closed doors. In some ways, it's wide out in the open. And that's why I don't think we can completely comprehend it. Because you have to seek people out. You have to seek someone out in most instances. And even if you're talking to every person you've ever known who's connected to you on the social network you're on, that could be private, too. It could be restricted to only approved people. And even within the people who are on your friends list, you can limit who is actually seeing what you say. And I do that. You know, sometimes I do that. Um, so it, I, the Internet is this strange combination between closed doors, the parlor, the den... Where you can say what you want to whom you want. But it is also very public. And I can only hope that if I ever say anything to anybody. Whether it's to a friend directly. Whether it's on a public platform. Whether it's you know, a more restricted semi-public platform. I can only hope that they're willing to give me the benefit of the doubt. And if there are things about me that alarm people, if there are things about my interests that somebody finds dangerous, I would say, don't assume you know what I'm getting out of that thing. Don't assume that you know what my intention is. If somebody has a knife in the house, don't assume they have a knife so they can go out and stab somebody. And make sure they even have a knife, if you're going to start thinking that way. Make sure that they've actually communicated some sense of danger. Because I think we need to get, we need these words to be as literal as possible. And if we need to invent new words, let's do it. New words are coming out all the time. We invented the word selfie, and even I use it. So I think we can invent other new words when old words fail us. And I don't even think it's necessarily that the old words fail us. I think it's that things shift. And we forget the definitions of words. We forget when we're using hyperbole. We forget when we're making analogies. We forget when we're using metaphors. I think we forget about all that because we are so caught up in the point we are making. There is so much bravado again, bravado, that I think we forget when we are exaggerating. I think we forget that we sometimes see things that aren't there, and I might very well be doing that myself. I I, I very well I'm I'm capable of that myself, so when I look for that in other people, there's a part of me that knows that I'm capable of it too, which is why I want counterpoint. I want pushback. And today, I'm feeling that. Today, today, even though I haven't changed my outlook on some of these topics, the counterpoint has impacted me. I'm tired, if nothing else. But the counterpoint has impacted me, and it has made me better. Even though I'm tired, I believe hearing counterpoint has made me better off for it.